BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Want to do bad things? That's real, yo. That's real at all, man. The more money you make, the more problems you get. And jealousy and envy is just something that comes with the territory, man. A lot of people, it's just negative energy, like my man Puff said. What country you from? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? What? English, mother. Do you speak it? Man, you've been doing all this dope producing. You ain't had a chance to show them what time it is. So what you want me to do? Welcome to the Spurs Cast, the original San Antonio Spurs podcast. joined by Mike Monroe, longtime NBA reporter, is now covering the Spurs for the Rivard Report. Uh, sir, absolutely honored to, to have you on the show with us today. We're here talking about your new book, 100 Things That Spurs Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Welcome to the Spurs cast, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a pleasure. And we're joined here, as always, by Jose. Jose, say hello. Hi, and Mr. Monroe, you have legitimized us, so thank you. <laughs> I, we can't repay you wow. for that. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty amazing. I, and I mentioned a little bit in the pre-show that, you know, not only are Jose and I fans, you know, of yours but uh, for, for a long time, but fans of this book itself. I, I bought this book um, – I think I got this on on Friday, Mike, and and I sat there okay. for about three hours and just plowed right through this. And it's not to say that this is a quick right. read. This this thing is what is almost three hundred pages long. I mean, this is a very comprehensive history of of the San Antonio Spurs, uh, and I love all the little call outs inside of it. Right, so uh, I, I think it's it's just filled with facts and and just a, a really great story about the San Antonio Spurs and. Uh, and I just couldn't separate away from it, so I, I really just uh, you know <laughs> got through it in about three hours. But you know I st- I, I've I've dog-eared a bunch of uh, 
a bunch of pages here to come back to because I I thought, man, I I didn't know that. There's a lot of facts in here. <laughs> well, until you just you just uh, give me a big uh, warm feeling with that. Uh, that's 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 so good to hear, and 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 that was that was the my intent when I when I wrote it. I know how passionate uh, San Antonians are about the Spurs. You know, I was in Denver for. 33 years, and and I told a lot of people I thought that Bronco mania was a real thing. Uh, was, you know, <laughs> that, that there couldn't there couldn't be any fans more loyal and insane really than Bronco maniacs until I got to San Antonio, and uh, the 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 love affair between San Antonio and the Spurs is real and it's and it's meaningful. It, it's just the Spurs are a, a major part of this community uh, in every way. And, and it's it, it really, I think the Spurs sort of bring the entire community together. And and it, it's something that you don't often see uh, anywhere. And so it, it's really kind of cool. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, and you referenced that, uh, that you came from Colorado. For those Spurs fans that that don't know about your history, talk about that. Why did you come from Colorado to South Texas? Well, I'll go back in my, uh, I'll give you a, um, a quick, <laughs> a quick resume, if you will. Uh, I started out in, in uh, uh, sports writing in 1968 in Colorado Springs, Colorado, uh, writing for the uh, now defunct Colorado Springs Free Press. And I covered my first professional basketball game in 1968 um, the Denver Rockets uh, versus the uh, New Orleans. Oh, wait a minute, were they the Buccaneers? Yes, the Buccaneers. Um, and uh, I, I, I told a lot of people this story. Uh, here I was. I was 21 years old, and uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> uh, a real neophyte, and uh, uh, stars in my eyes, and the whole thing, and I. I walked into the Denver Rockets, uh, the, the, the team that became the Nuggets, um, the Denver Rockets locker room after the first pro basketball game that I had ever covered. And about three quarters of the players uh, in, in the locker room were smoking, and they all had little <laughs> buckets of beer, uh, <laughs> little ice, uh, ice buckets of beer. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what happened to training rules? Yeah. These guys are all smoking. They're drinking beer. What is this? Well, it's, <laughs> but, it's how uh, we do the show here, by the way. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, but uh, uh, I went from uh, I went from Colorado Springs to Denver in 1971, and uh, uh, I I spent as many uh, uh, as many nights as possible watching the old Denver Rockets and then the Nuggets at the, at the old Auditorium Arena. Um, in downtown Denver, which was about two blocks from the Denver Post building where I was, where I went to work. Um, and I was at the Denver Post for 30 years. Beginning in 1985, I was assigned to cover the Denver Nuggets. And uh, I, I feel a, a really blessed to have covered NBA basketball at a golden age, not just of NBA, uh, of NBA basketball. You know, these were the uh, these were the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird years, and uh, Julius Irving, and, and a lot of other great players and great teams. And uh, but but it was not not just that as much for me as it was. It was a great time to be covering 
NBA basketball, in those days, the riders flew on the same commercial aircraft with the teams. They rode the team bus from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel to the arena. Excuse me. And uh, you, you actually developed relationships with coaches and players because you were just thrown into situations. Uh, you know, you, you have a, uh, a plane delay and you're, you're stuck in an airport with, uh, with the guys and everybody's, everybody has a shared experience. And it, uh, it, it, was a, it was a different time. Practices were completely open. Uh, you just walked into practice anytime you wanted to. Um, the, the, the access to players was really completely unfettered. I mean, you could talk to anyone and everyone, and uh, it was a great, great time to be covering the NBA. Things have changed a bit, well, uh, but, uh, uh, but I've covered, I've really covered primarily nothing but the NBA since 1985, um, with, with the occasional, you know, um, Broncos playoff game sidebar here and there and, and a golf tournament here and there. So, but uh, primarily I've done nothing but NBA basketball since 1985. You mentioned uh, that, you know, it, it was a different time. You could cover sports differently. How has that changed back then to social media? Now uh, I was blessed enough for projects first to let me go, you know, uh, for summer league and, you know, you get all these bloggers and all these different uh, people mm-hmm. Going. And I mean, it's everybody fighting to get the news out at the, you know, right when it happens, everybody's tweeting. You know, what, what's the difference, the huge difference between now and then for you? Well, it, it is a huge difference. Uh, and, you know, now uh, scoops are measured in seconds. Mm. And, and back in the day, uh, when, when it was primarily newspaper writers uh, doing the, the daily coverage uh, with some, you know, some radio and, 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 you know, a scant few TV people actually trying to to report the news. Uh, back in the day, the, you know, you would write a story and and you would get up in the morning, and and uh, in Denver there were you know there were two competing newspapers, and uh, if I thought I had a scoop, I would get up early in the morning and go to the go to the porch and, and pick up the uh, the Rocky Mountain News, the competing newspaper, and see if my competitor had also gotten the story that I thought I had a scoop on. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that nine times out of ten, he didn't. But, uh, but, uh, and then the other, the, you know, the flip side of that coin was sometimes you would go to the, uh, go pick up the paper and open it up and, and you'd been, you'd been beaten on a, on, on a big story. And so uh, uh, it was completely different. There was no social media, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was highly competitive, but, uh, um, uh, but I, it's, it's impossible to, to relate how different it was to people who now understand that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're off Twitter for, uh, for 30 minutes, you, you might miss a big story. Right. Uh, and, and so, uh, it was totally, totally different. And, uh, I guess I sound like uh, an old fogey, but I kind of miss the old days. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm going to talk. I'm going to ask you about those old days because I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't ask you a, uh, for a Dikembe Mutombo story. Uh, with all your time there in Denver, <laughs> what was it like having Dikembe come to town? This is one of my all-time favorite players, me personally. Uh, what was it like having Dikembe come to town? What was that experience like? Uh, how did you feel about him leaving as well? 
Well, yeah, uh, Dikembe is larger than life, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, he is the most outgoing, uh, you know, sort of fill up a room guy that I've ever been around. And and I'll tell you one one of my favorite stories about Dikembe is that. I discovered uh, about oh maybe uh, uh, a year and a half into his his career with the Nuggets, when you know we were we were taught had, you know he was a go to guy in the locker room, and so um, I discovered that by accident that if you put your tape recorder uh, playback on the fast speed instead of the the normal speed. <laughs> that it was easier to understand him. He had that big, deep voice, and he spoke, you know, he spoke in that uh, sort of um, basso profundo voice. And it, and uh, as I say, it was a complete accident that the, the, the speed button had been pushed up to whatever the, the high speed was. And I'm saying, wow, I can understand Dikemi a whole lot better. But uh, uh, Dikemi and I actually became very good friends. Um, any time uh, we're, we're in the same arena, uh, we always we always have a nice uh, a nice reunion. Uh, he um, he's he's a big hearted guy who uh, uh, I wish I wish there were more players like Dikembe. And, and of course, he's done uh, amazing good works in Africa, in in Congo, and uh, um, just just really. Uh, I'm so thrilled to see him uh, uh, go to the Hall of Fame. Uh, well deserved, and uh, he's a he's a Hall of Fame person as well as a Hall of Fame player. Oh, wonderful! And um, yeah, I I I I've always been a follower of his. I love the finger uh, wagging back and forth. Uh, the guy's skill is, <laughs> is unbelievable. It's always good to hear a good story because you know, despite um, you know hearing these kind of stories from him, most people don't know, uh, you know, Dikembe and his big personality and his big heart. Well, uh, I, I, I promise you, he's just, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he had died. He, he had a, a sibling who died and, and, and forgive me. I'm, 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 I'm forgetting at the moment, whether it was a sister or a brother, I believe it was a brother who died and, 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 uh, uh, Dikembe adopted all of his children. And, uh, uh, I mean, that, that's just one example of the, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the kind of big hearted person that he is. But, uh, um, now uh, Deke was a, uh, a, a tremendous guy to cover and, and, uh, and of course, uh, a, a great player and, and part of that, uh, uh, that Nuggets team that, uh, became the first number eight seed to knock off the number one seed, uh, back in the, uh, uh, 90, Three and uh, boy, um, uh, the years run together. The '93 or '94 uh, first round when Denver beat uh, Seattle after Seattle had the best record in the entire league, and they uh, they won uh, Game Five. First rounds used to be five game series, and they won Game Five in Seattle in overtime, and uh, uh, it really was one of the one of the most uh, compelling games that I've ever uh, had the privilege to cover. Switching gears to to get to to the topic at hand, your your book and and I just 
was exalting yes, this uh, th- this book. I think it's fantastic. There, it, it's so deep into. I mean, there's a hundred things inside of this this book, and we could go for an hour and a half. And I know we don't have that much of your time, so you know, Jose and I wanted to ask you a, a few questions about the book. And, and starting okay. with, how did you come up with the idea to write this book, a listing of a hundred things oh. that Spurs fans should know before they die? Okay. Well. This is uh, uh, the, the concept is actually a franchise uh, of Triumph uh, uh, Publications out of Chicago. They have done this this same uh, uh, book, if you will, a hundred things book about uh, many of the great franchises in, in in sports history: the 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 Yankees and the Dodgers and the Bulls and the uh, the Lakers and the uh, um, you know. Uh, Probably uh, a dozen or so of the great sports franchises, the uh, the Giants and the uh, the Oakland A's, even and and uh, they they decided they wanted a book about the uh, uh, the Spurs, and and rightly so because we're talking about the great franchises in sports history, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and the Spurs certainly qualify, and and uh, they actually pitched the idea to uh, one of the writers who had done several of their books for them. And uh, my friend Steve Springer, who uh, is retired now from the Los Angeles Times and was asked to do the book, he says, oh, no, 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 no. You have to call Mike Monroe in San Antonio. There's your guy to do the Spurs book. And so that's how that's how that came about. And uh, a, a little uh, interesting sidebar to that is that my deadline was actually uh, they, they we, we signed the contract after after the, the Spurs won the 2014 uh, championship. Mm-hmm. And I had a deadline of uh, October first of 2015 uh, to to finish the book, and um, and I made made the deadline. Uh, but in the interim, of course, the Spurs uh, had been uh, been eliminated in the first round in 2015, and then gone out and signed Lamarcus Aldridge and David West. And I told the editor that uh, that I'd worked with, I really think we should wait another year for publication because I think the Spurs are going to have another great season and there'll be a championship contender again. And he agreed with me and we decided to wait. And yes, indeed, they had the best season in franchise history. And then we know what else happened. Right. They got beat by the uh, Thunder in the second round and we never got that uh, that great uh, Western Conference Finals matchup uh, that we'd all anticipated between the Spurs and the 73 win Warriors. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we then waited uh, at my insistence to uh, to see what Tim Duncan would decide to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I just told him, I said, we cannot publish this book until we know if Tim's going to retire. And they agreed, even though it kind of put a, a crimp in their publication schedule. And uh, and so, um, as, as you know, there is a chapter in there called The End of an Era mm-hmm. uh, about uh, um, Tim's retirement. And, and, and included a, uh, one of the little 26 little sidebars that are also in the book is is the letter that he wrote to Spurs fans yeah. on Spurs.com. Uh, you know, love Tim, you know. <laughs> so uh, so that's sort of the, uh, uh, you know, the um, uh, the long and short of how, uh, of how the book came about. And uh, I, had a, I had a great deal of fun researching it and, uh, and writing it. Uh, and believe me, I... Uh, when I started, I said, wow, a hundred things, that's a lot of things. Uh, and then I started listing them. And it didn't take me long to realize a hundred things is not enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, there could be 200 things. 
but um, uh, we, we, you know, I, we uh, uh, narrowed it down uh, to the 100 things that are in the book. Uh, and uh, eight of those deal with Tim Duncan uh, primarily. And uh, I make no, uh, no apology for that. And as, as you know, number one, and they're ordered one through 100 in, in order of importance as I see them. And and I don't think uh, I don't think too many people will quibble with my uh, choice of Tim Duncan as the number one thing in the book. Yeah, I I don't think so either. And and I was going to ask you about your your writing process, but you you really laid it out there that you know you started your research, you you started listing off a hundred things, and and you thought that that's just not quite enough. And you know, l- let me ask you, what was the hundred and first thing? Ah. <laughs> uh... You know, we, we actually ended up uh, consolidating a couple of things, mm-hmm. and and uh, and there were a couple of things that fell by the wayside. And at the top of my head, I can't remember. And and maybe maybe it's best not you know not revealed anyway. Uh, might hurt <laughs> someone's feelings. Uh, the, uh, well, all right, I'll tell you, I, I will tell you one that, that, that got left out, and I, and I was sort of a. Uh, this person probably will be glad that it didn't make the book. It was the worst draft pick in, in, in uh, franchise history, which uh, was Alfred Hughes uh, in, I believe, 1985 or six. Um, well, it was the Carl Malone draft because the, the player who went uh, immediately ahead of, of Alfred Hughes uh, was Carl Malone. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some bad luck, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but, uh, Alfred Hughes, <laughs> uh, uh, Hughes was a was a, a prolific scorer at Loyola of Chicago, uh, and he was a complete bust as an as an NBA player. Um, and, and and one of the one of the little tidbits that I uh, learned about Alfred Hughes was that he played uh, uh, his senior year. I believe he he was um, at, at Loyola. He was, I, I believe, he led the uh, led the country in scoring, and did not have a single assist. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so that's so that, that that's really kind of all you need to know about Alfred Hughes. But that he didn't make the book. So enough said about poor Alfred. Well, you mentioned luck um, in your in your last statement there. How lucky are the Spurs? If I, and I don't want to give too much away in, in your book. I want people to go out there and buy it so they own this. But, you know, I can't even make it through the first 20 pages before I see probably the two luckiest events in Spurs history, certainly, but but maybe in, in all of humankind. Let's talk about our hurricane <laughs> that upsets Tim right. Duncan's swimming future and then David Robinson being right. too tall for active duty. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, yeah. These are these are you're, you're right. These are these are uh, amazing uh, happenstance uh, circumstances uh, that that benefited the uh, uh, the Spurs. Not to mention their luck in the lotteries, uh, in which they ended up with the number one pick when David Robinson was was eligible for for the draft, and when Tim Duncan was eligible for the draft. One of my favorite sidebars in the uh, uh, in the book and uh, is. Uh, is the amazing tidbit that uh, there actually was a second player who was briefly considered for the number one pick in the 1997 draft, and and 
Um, if you read the book, you know that uh, that, that was Scott Pollard, who was a, a seven foot center from Kansas. Yeah. And uh, I discovered this uh, when I was following the Spurs as Pop was uh, was approaching win number one thousand, and which which actually came in Indiana. Uh, in Indianapolis, and Scott Pollard now is a broadcaster for the Indi- uh, Indiana Pacers. And before the game, Pop was on 999 wins, and there was quite a quite a, a large contingent of media following the Spurs at this point, and uh, and they were asking him about all sorts of things, and he was talking about how fortunate he was to have had uh, you know Tim Duncan for the bulk of his you know, all but really his first season. Uh, as a, the coach of the uh, Spurs and everything he's done, he owes to Tim Duncan, et cetera, et cetera. And Scott Pollard is there in the in the media scrum, and and Pop has volunteered the information that uh, you know we actually consider another player, and he's standing right here with Scott Pollard. But Scott Pollard's uh, mouth just fell to the floor, and uh, uh, he was unaware that the that the Spurs had ever considered him as well. But uh, uh, I, I think that's one of the real fun facts that's, uh, that's in the book that, that a lot of people were entirely unaware of. But the Spurs were indeed uh, extremely fortunate, uh, as you say, because um, because of the hurric- of hur- Hurricane Hugo that uh, hit uh, St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, where Tim Duncan was a promising Olympic swimmer, uh, potential potential Olympic swimmer. Uh, uh, was setting, you know, age group records and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the hurricane hits St. Croix and destroys the swimming pool in which he, in which he trained and competed. And, uh, and so then he, he turned his athletic pursuits to basketball. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, David Robinson, as you say, uh, after graduation from the, uh, the Naval Academy, uh, had a commitment to uh, to serve in active duty in the in the navy, and uh, and that uh, that benefited the Spurs as well. You know, your your book has several lists in here, uh, and and again, I I don't want to get in deep in the lists, but it, you know, if I look at uh, Popovich's coaching tree, which you outline in this book, which I've um, right. I, I've always been interested in coaching trees. I, I think that you know influences that. That people have on the rest of the league could be felt uh, in, in a pretty widespread way, and you go through his coaching tree. Um, talk about that. How prolific is Greg Popovich and his influence on the league? Well, it's uh, teams have been have been trying to emulate the Spurs uh, the Spurs way for a long time, and one of the easiest ways ways to do that. Is to you know is to steal the assistant coaches who know exactly uh, how how Pop goes about his business, right? And and Pop would tell you that he's part of uh, of someone else's coaching tree, and and that would be uh, Don Nelson because he was an assistant for Don Nelson and also Larry Brown, mm-hmm. um, who uh, who actually as as you know from reading the book, uh, uh, when Pop took a, a sabbatical from uh, his college coaching at Pomona Pitzer. Um, he, he landed up as a, as a uh, sort of a, uh, an intern assistant coach for Larry Brown at the University of Kansas, where, where uh, there was a graduate assistant coach named R.C. Buford. That's where the two of them met. And then when Larry got the job as, as the head coach of the, uh, of the Spurs in 19, uh, I believe, 1987, 
he 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 brought both Pop and RC to his staff, and so um, uh, Pop would tell you that uh, he's part of Larry's tree, he's part of Don Nelson's tree, uh, but uh, and, and and they definitely had an uh, influence on the way uh, Greg Popovich uh, coaches the Spurs, uh, but but yeah, his his tree is 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 pretty prolific and. Uh, there, there haven't. Uh, just to show you how difficult it is, though, that you know the the, the coaches that has come, the coaches that have come from his tree, uh, uh, have have not always had the same kind of success the Spurs have had, and and uh, you know Steve Kerr certainly has to be in uh, part of that tree as well because he played for Pop and won two championships under Pop. Uh, Mike, Mike Budenholzer, I think. Uh, um, has a chance in Atlanta to to have a Popovichian like career, um, and uh, uh, I think I think Bud probably uh, approximates Pop's approach more so than any of the other coaches that have come out of his his tree. But yeah, it's a it's a pretty amazing thing. You know, out of all of the Spurs that you've covered, who would you say is the most underrated San Antonio Spur? Oh gosh. Uh, wow, that's a great question. Um, I'd like to take credit underrated. for that, but that's Jose. Uh, that's Jose's question that I'm asking. Okay, okay, Jose. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a good one. The most underrated Spurs player. Wow. Um, Jose wanted to say Fabricio Alberto, but I, I told him to let you answer. Yeah. No. Do you need time? No, I'll, give you my, I'll give you my own personal one. I always thought the most underrated one was Michael Finley. And, and me and Ryan were discussing this because uh, you mentioned him in your book. But I always thought when he went in 2006, that sort of changed the dynamic of what the Spurs, Spurs image was, where you can bring somebody in there, you know, a guy who was a superstar with the Mavs. Yeah, he was hurt, but he still thought he could play. And then he he could fit in that role. Pop could make guys fit into a system. It wasn't, you're going to come and you're going to do exactly what we say. I mean, he had trouble, you know, coming off the bench early on, but again, Pop made it as comfortable as he could for him. I, I really think that he's underrated because of that, because he was open to whatever the Spurs were, were going to give him, but the Spurs, he also shot right. with what Pop uh, helped them accomplish. There. No, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. Uh, 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 Finn, you know, that they, uh, it was unfortunate that, uh, uh, that you know they locked up with the Mavericks that year when they had the two best records in the uh, uh, in the NBA. They not locked up in the second round, and uh, um, and and the, and the Spurs lost that memorable seven game series to the Mavericks uh, that that season. But uh, uh, and that you know I'm, that that was a tough break for uh, uh, for Finn. But uh, you know. Um, Uh, I, I think that um, Alberto's not a bad choice because he, he did so many of the little things that uh, that, that people don't notice. Um, he was a, he was a solid interior defender and rebounder, and 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 a terrific interior passer. Uh, maybe Boris Diaw, uh, simply from the fact that, uh, uh, that that Boris was not a prolific scorer. Uh, but he did so many uh, of the little things, and, and especially the passing, and, and so many players loved playing with him. And when they won that 2014 championship, 
um, you know, putting him in the starting lineup really, really jump-started uh, uh, that that run of beautiful basketball. Um, you know, maybe maybe he's not underrated. Maybe maybe Spurs fans consider him uh, a great player, but uh, uh, Boris would be in the in the conversation for sure. And you're you're probably gonna you know you're probably gonna laugh about this, but I. Uh, I, I think maybe Rachel Nesterovich deserves oh, consideration. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I you, told you, you, have legitimized I told you were going to laugh. <laughs> uh, I, I've been advocating it, for Rasha for, for years, and I know Jose's got a big smile on his face. You've made me so happy by mentioning Nesterovich. <laughs> uh, Rasha, again, the same thing. Uh, he was he was not a scorer, but Rasho knew his role. He should he, he he could have been. He just needed to be more aggressive with it and have a little more confidence in his game. He wasn't a bad shooter, uh, but he he did he also did the little things. He he uh, he set a really mean pick. Uh, he he knew how to block out. He was a, he was a, a solid interior defender. So he's got to be in the conversation too. That's a great question. And they signed him primarily to guard Shaq at, at a point where Shaq was still Shaq to an extent. So, I mean, he earned, I, I think he earned like $14 yeah. million right a year. So, uh, I'll agree with you there. It's not right. an easy cover to, for, for him to go to a team to do right. that. Right. Well, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, on the current team, uh, what, how do you feel about your 2016-2017 San Antonio Spurs? And uh, How do you think they're doing this year? What can we expect from them the rest of the year? Well, listen. Uh, I think I did not think they would get off to as good a start as they have. Uh, certainly, didn't think they would uh, blow out the Warriors in the, in the season opener. Um, I I think I think Spurs fans should be really encouraged that they that they're eight and three, uh, uh, having played uh, um, five games without Tony Parker and and uh, um, let's see. Eight games without Danny Green, eight or nine games without Danny Green. You're talking about forty percent of your uh, of your starting lineup that uh, that really hasn't been there for a a good chunk of the season, and that and that also has effects on uh, an effect on your on your second unit as well because obviously some you know players are coming up from the second unit to take those starting spots. So I think I think it's an encouraging start, uh, and, and there is tremendous room for growth. Uh, Paul Gasol is going to be much better in March and April than he is right now in the Spurs system. Uh, and uh, Kawhi Leonard is uh, is just getting better and better and better, and he's already a monster, uh, the best two-way player in the NBA, in my opinion, at this point. And so I think uh, I, I think there there are great things in store. I think that I think the Spurs are going to win between 55 and 60 games. And, uh, um, you know, the Clippers are terrific, uh, better than I thought they were going to be. They're off to a great start. Uh, the Warriors are the Warriors, and uh, and there's some other terrific teams in the West. But uh, I, I think the Spurs are going to have a – I think they're contenders again. Uh, they've got to have some luck with uh, with health. Um, Mono's having – is off to a good start. Tony uh, has had the hyperextended knee, kind of a slow start. But um, you know, and let me let me just uh, finish with. Um, I, I think Tony is not appreciated uh, by Spurs fans 
to the extent that he should be. And I actually, I actually have a piece that's uh, that's going to be on uh, up on Bleacher Report about Tony, uh, probably Thursday morning, um, and uh, uh, that that speaks to this issue. And uh, uh, you know, I had a, had a nice conversation with Greg Popovich about that, and he's he's in agreement that that Tony hasn't been appreciated uh, as much as he uh, as he deserves to be. Uh, you're talking about a guy who was the team's leading scorer and was asked by Pop to to take a different role and be a facilitator and has done so. And, uh, I, uh, you know, he was not ranked in the top 100 in sports Illustrated's list of the best hundred best NBA players. And I think, I think they missed the boat on that. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I think he's a very, still a very important player in what the, in what the Spurs are going to do. And, you know, he's, he's played seven games and they're six and one in his seven games, uh, as a starter. So, uh, I, I think the Spurs are, are positioned quite well right now. Uh, I know Ryan wanted that to be the last question, but I got to ask you, since you're in the <laughs> trenches, since you, you talk to the Spurs, and, I mean, you're in the know. What's the biggest difference uh, that you can see with the post-Duncan Spurs uh, compared to when Duncan was out there? I mean, we're seeing them a little bit more lively or a little bit more emotion, but what's the biggest difference do you, do you, that you see uh, post-Tim Duncan era? Well, you... you, you you really see just what a great interior defender Tim was. And I'm not talking about a shot block or anything like that. I'm talking about no, always knowing where to be and always helping his teammates be in the proper spot. Uh, and I don't know how much you ever pay, uh, watched Tim on the defensive end, always talking to his teammates and positioning them. Sometimes, you know, put a hand on a guy's hip and move him over uh, uh, two feet, you know, because that's where he needed to be. Uh, he, he was, he is one of the greatest interior defenders in NBA history. And I think that's where it shows up. They're, they're not, they're not quite as, uh, uh, robust in their interior defense right now as they were. Uh, Powell is a, uh, is a, um, uh, a solid shot blocker because of his length, but Powell is, Powell Gasol is not a great interior defender as Tim Duncan was, and that's not really a knock on Powell as much as it is a comment about what a great interior defender Tim was. His name is Mike Monroe. His book is 100 Things Spurs Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, He's currently writing for the Rivard Report. Uh, Mike, on Twitter, I know you're very active on Twitter. You even have Robin Lopez following you on Twitter. Where can Spurs cast fans engage with you in, in the Twitterverse? I'm sorry, at, at Monroe underscore SA. That's, uh, that's me on Twitter. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, we're, we're deeply honored. We're, we're huge fans. I know that our followers are fans. Uh, and we thank you just uh, sincerely for spending the time with us and, and talking about this book that, you know, to, to me, to be honest with you, uh, I, I think – if you look on page 200 of this book and you just look at the picture, and by the way, there's wonderful pictures throughout this book. Look at the picture for every Spurscast fan that's going to purchase this book. Look on page 200. Look at a picture of that kid looking over the river walk at the parade. That tells you all you need to know about San Antonio Spurs. Mike, thank you very much for your time. Oh, okay, and if, and if I could say there's, there's one more thing that Spur, uh, Spurs fans need to know and do before they die, they need to buy this book. I, I agree. That's that's the hundred and first thing. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> Mike. Thank, thank you. you, fellas. It was my pleasure. I uh, appreciate the interest.
Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful day. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.